And we are so excited to announce something brand new here at Bayshore Community Church. Available now on any of the app stores, either Apple or Android or even Amazon, is the exciting Bayshore Church app for your mobile device. Now this app is chock full of content for you to use to engage with Bayshore. There's a sermon archive where you can browse past messages from both campuses. There's ways for you to sign up for classes, for events, for small groups. There's events calendars so that you don't miss anything that's happening. There's even a Bible reading section where you can get daily updates on where we are reading in the Bible. Also, this app has a great new giving feature, a very sleek and efficient way to easily give anytime you like and also have reoccurring gifts. So be sure to check out our app. You can go to bayshorecc.org slash app. That's bayshorecc.org slash app. And find links to download the Bayshore Church app. Well, good morning, everybody. We're starting a new series today called Dysfunction Junction. And we want to welcome our podcast listeners. Uh, thank you so much for listening, if you're listening on the podcast. And also our uh, uh, our Facebook Live community that are listening right now. We want to welcome you to listen. We're so glad that you're part of today's service and the best way to experience Bay Shores to be here. But we are so grateful that you are here uh, with us uh, live stream listening to uh, us on Facebook. So uh, let's give our Facebook community a hand. Welcome them to this service. Well, this uh, series is about dysfunctional families, about dysfunctional families. And I've often said that uh, all families are dysfunction, dysfunctional. It's just a matter of degree. Uh, we all have uh, those issues in our families that need to be worked on. And so we're going to be, over the next few weeks, talking about families and the dysfunction that is in our families, things we can work on and, and that type of thing. Maybe you've compared your family with the family across the street that looks perfect. Have you ever, have you ever uh, looked at a family, maybe even at church, you look at a family, and boy, they just look like they've got it all together. The children's hair's combed, and everybody seems to be perfect. Uh, Karen and I, when we were uh, living in Florida, there was this uh, couple that we saw that looked like Barbie and Ken at church. They just like they were handsome, they were wealthy. Uh, they had just everything together, and they had us over for dinner one night, and uh, we're just admiring all that. And, but you know, the thing about families is families really are impressive from a distance. But when you get looked up close, every family has warts, flaws, and scars. Warts, flaws, and scars. We all have those things in our, in our, in our families that, that aren't perfect. I remember when I was in high school, one of my friends came uh, to, to have dinner with me and my family, and I think he spent the night or whatever, one of my buddies from high school, and uh, he had a really, really dysfunctional family uh, I don't even think his father was present at home. And he looked at my family, and uh, he said to me, he said, boy, you are so lucky to have such a great family, and my mom and dad and my sisters and all that. But, you know, uh, we have a wonderful family, but I can tell you my family of origins was not perfect, uh, and it had issues and, uh, and that type of thing. So every family has issues, and every family has, uh, has things to work on. Every family is dysfunctional. And so we just need to work on those things together, and so we're going to dive into that. You know, you know what unicorns and perfect families have in common? Neither one of them exist. Neither one of them exist. 
So um, how many know that your family isn't perfect? Just raise your hand. You know your family isn't perfect. Your marriage isn't perfect. Uh, and that's just sort of the reality uh, for all of us. So what I'm going to do today is, the way I approach a subject is I like to find uh, a place in the Bible uh, that addresses that. So what I'm going to do today is, is, in fact, through this series, I want to be looking at dysfunctional families in the Bible. The families in the Bible and the people in the Bible were not perfect. Uh, every family in the Bible was dysfunctional. Every person in the Bible was imperfect. I'm glad I'm not in the Bible. You know, I, I wouldn't want to be in the Bible because God doesn't hide anything. He just shows everything about these people in the Bible. And I can tell you some of the most outrageous, crazy stories uh, of families in the Bible that, uh, you know, just make our families look really good. So we're going to be looking at some of the families in the Bible that have issues. So I'm going to start with the Adams family, the Adams family, not the TV series Adams family. Remember this, uh, the uh, Adams family uh, in TV? Remember this show? Oh my gosh, what a creepy show. I hated this show. I hated the music. Here's the music I think that goes with that show. Remember the, remember the music? Nope, we don't have the music. I thought we had the music. There we go. Remember they clipped their hands? Remember that? How many remember the Adams family? Oh my gosh, there, everybody's clipping their fingers. Okay, enough of that. I'm telling you, this is a weird family. And uh, they're just really strange. You got a seven foot uh, butler named Lurch, and you've got Gomez, and you got the, the weird hand coming out. Maybe, maybe your family's like that. You know, you got these weird things to your family. But the Adam family is the first family in the Bible, and that's, of course, Adam and Eve. That's the first family. Very dysfunctional family. Uh, we have a brother that killed his other brother. Uh, we have poor communication in the family, really, really bad communication, and uh, so there's some issues there. But I want to look at the story a little bit and just talk about um, Adam and Eve a little bit and talk about, let's find some, some clues to how a good family can, can emerge out of dysfunctional situation. So let me read a little bit to you. Uh, we, we find in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1, 26 to 27, we have the creation story. Actually, there's two creation stories. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 are two versions of the creation story. Uh, you have what is called the macro version in chapter 1, where you get the, the broad view of creation. And then in chapter 2 of Genesis, you get this micro view of creation where everything is in more detail. But let's look at uh, Adam and Eve as they come into existence in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, let, us, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the, all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, and in, his imi in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And then verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 21 through 25 the same story with more detail. Uh, chapter Gen Genesis 2, 21 through 25. So the Lord calls the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the, uh, one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to man. And then it says, uh, then the man said, verse 23, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. 
She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, one other verse. Um, Chapter 5 of Genesis gives a summary of um, Adam's line, the Adam's family. Here's what it says. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. Now, let me first of all point out the obvious in the story. Uh, There's something obvious in the story. Um, I heard, I'm actually taking a, a, a class on Hebrew right now, how to read Hebrew. And this summer I've been studying that. And so this guy that is teaching the class, a guy named Chet Roden, I had to read one of his books, uh, and he was telling in the book about how one summer he went to uh, the Middle East, went to Israel to do archaeological digs, and he was gone for two months from his wife. And when he was gone, um, he uh, grew a beard out. He was normally a clean-shaven guy, but while he was working in the deserts around Israel, He let his beard grow out, and when he got home, got out of the car, his wife, of course, hadn't seen him in two months, and he hadn't seen her, so she ran and jumped in his arms, and they hugged and laughed and kissed, and then they went into the house, and it wasn't like an hour or two later that she said, hey, you grew a beard. She didn't see the obvious. Uh, She completely overlooked the obvious. Now, when we read the Bible... We have a tendency to overlook the obvious, Uh, and sometimes the obvious is important. Now, in this story, one of the things I think is imperative is uh, is an obvious point. The first family was male and female, was male and female. In the text, it says this, and I I don't know why uh, it's so emphatic in the text, but in the first chapter of Genesis... It says God made them male and female. Then the uh, second story of creation, chapter 2 of Genesis, God took a rib out of Adam, and uh, out of that rib he created a woman, and then Adam sees the woman for the first time, goes berserk in the Hebrew. He goes, wow, this is pretty good. You know, somebody said, you know, that he, when he saw... Eve, he said, whoa, man. That's why she's named Woe Man. <laughs> but, and then the Genesis, uh, what's called the Toledoth, the history of Adam, uh, he mentions that God made them male and female. Now, the reason that's important is because in our culture, that is obviously something that's being challenged a little bit. But the first family was created male and female. And so that's important for us to remember. Uh, We should celebrate our gender. God gave gender labeling in the book of Genesis. God gave gender labeling. He said, you're a man and you're a woman. God created man and woman. And that's an important distinction for us to, to, to talk about. Now, Jesus himself endorsed this. Now, uh, people, uh, actually, I've said this before, I know other people have taught this, that Jesus never commented on homosexuality or never commented on gay, the gay issue. 
But listen to this. It's something I hadn't really considered. Uh, Matthew 19, Jesus is being asked about divorce, about what, what is, and of course, divorce is such a painful thing, and all of us know somebody, many of us have, have experienced that terrible, terrible thing uh, that, that people go through and uh, sure understand the pain that goes along with that. But Jesus was you know, basically asked, you know, how stringent should we be about divorce? Can you get divorced for any reason or it has to be a big deal, basically? And then he's asked about that, and here's, what he, here's his answer to that in Matthew 19. Matthew 19 says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let, non, let not any man uh, put asunder or separate. So, Jesus, in his comment about marriage, underscored that marriage is a man and a woman. A man and a woman. How many men are here today? You are a man, and you're glad you're a man. Raise your hand. You are a man. God made you a man. How many of you are ladies? You are a lady, and you know God has made you a lady. Just raise your hand. Now, that's important. Now, now God created, God wants us to know from the very beginning, the fundamental element of marriage is based on uh, opposite genders. That's the beginning of the story of Scripture. I was, uh, my granddaughter Willow has been texting now. She's eight years old, so she texts me all the time. So I get these texts. So she's, uh, you know, I'll be sitting, you know, working. I'll get a little text from Willow. Last night I got four or five of her. She goes on these little text blitz. blitz. So I have been texting her back. And when I text her back, I always sign my name, Papa. Papa. So she said to me, uh, text me back the other day. She said, you know, you don't have to tell me who you are. I already know who you are. I said, oh, got that. That's funny. I need, uh, you do know who I am. Hey, listen, doesn't matter what label you put on yourself. God knows who you are, and he made you a certain way. We need to celebrate that. Uh, I'm old-fashioned. Uh, I'm still, I still love separate bathrooms. I love men's bathroom and female bathroom. I love, you know, not that I go in the female bathroom. I want you to know that. But I'm grateful for that. I was just in Charlotte Airport. Uh, Karen and I were you know, flying back from Texas and, and going through the airport. There's the man's bathroom. I like to go into the man's bathroom. That's the man's bathroom. And uh, Karen went and we have a little meeting area because we'd lost each other in airports before because we didn't have a little meeting thing supplied after that. So that's, that's really good. And now a lot of modern restaurants, you know, uh, you know, there's not that anymore. You know, there's just a door and it says whatever on it, you know, so you don't know exactly. So, but God in his original design of creation, his original design of the family, he was very gender specific. Very gender, gender specific. And how does, how does God, how does God celebrate how does God affirm that that's his, design or his divine order? How does God affirm that male and female are God's divine order? How does he affirm that? Well, one of the things that is uh, the, the way that he affirms that is through 
the uh, reproduction of children, that children come out of men and women coming together as husband and wife. They produce a child. And how does God give a high five, an affirmation to his design? It's through the reproduction of children. Now, if you've ever been uh, in, a, in, a, in a room where a, a child is, how many watched your, I guess if you were a wife, you, you were there, right? You watched your children be born pretty much. How many men you were there when your, your children were born? And uh, boy, I tell you, that, that's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? One of the most amazing moments of my life was uh, when my two sons were born. And I remember I was scared to death. I was scared spitless, you know. I, I just, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine. You know, it was just so dramatic. And uh, the doctor said, you want to come down here and help catch the baby? I said, I'm good. I'm good right here. I'm good. Uh, but watching that, they put a little mirror there, and I could see Tim being born. And that was God's affirmation, God's affirmation of male-female union and that's his created order affirms through the birth of children that that's his, his, his divine design. Say this with me. God's divine design is men and women coming together to create life. Now, that's fundamental. Now, it's important for us to like, express that and communicate that in today's culture but very, very, very important. And so my, my attitude toward the sexual confusion uh, in, our, in our world and in our community is, is very much a spirit of grace and because I think the fall of man, uh, when sin entered the world, we all got confused about a lot of things. And so the other day I was, uh, I was trying to sell these car mats. Uh, when, my, when I wrecked my Honda and I got my truck, I didn't need my, my weather all car mats anymore, so I put them up for sale on the uh, Let It Go and on Facebook, and I couldn't sell them. You know, I was trying to make some money off of them, so I finally said, anybody wants them, come get them. So uh, this person called, and they came, and when they came, it was a, it was a female that was dressed like a male, uh, trying, she was, she was the husband of the union. Her wife was in the truck, and, and so had a wonderful conversation with them, business owners in our community, and very kind, very loving toward them, and uh, that's my attitude. But my worldview, my worldview comes from Scripture, and my worldview says that in the beginning, God created male and female, and three times he emphatically emphasizes the gender labeling in the story. So it's important for us to, to know that. And so our... Uh, and, and I, you know, people are just different. You know, women are different than men. Uh, how many, how many have discovered that already? Uh, women are different than men. Did you know, this is interesting, uh, did you know that, that a woman's index finger is longer than her middle finger? Um, generally speaking. And uh, a man's middle finger is longer than his index finger, but it's the exact opposite in a woman. Now, this was not the first thing that I noticed about a girl. <laughs> but there are differences, and there are differences by design. Differences by design. So, let's celebrate that. Celebrate how God made you. Uh, my, my, my granddaughters, I, never, I had little 
boys growing up, my boys, Tim and Joel, you know, playing rough with them. I used to hold them up and, you know, throw them in the air and, you know, we'd play football. I'd wrestle with them. I used to play this thing called steamroller. I'd put them on the floor and I'd roll over them like a steamroller. I was really rough with my boys and just had the best time. I had so much fun uh, with my kids. Now that I've got little granddaughters, it's all different. You know, it's really different. You gotta like, you know, you can't throw them in the air like, like you can little boys. I tried it and they cry. They run to their mom. I feel awful. So now I'm like, uh, I'm like holding their hand, sitting having tea with them. And I'm like, I mean, this is a whole different world to me. And my little granddaughter, Nora, she's just always dressing up. She's like a little princess. And, and she's, she's more feminine than my other uh, granddaughter, Willow. Willow's more, she's different, you know, a little bit of a tomboy, but she's still very much a girl. I can't be rough with her. I have to be very kind to her, have to rub her shoulders, have to, you know, hold her hand. Well, in fact, we were, the other day, I was, uh, we were uh, going into Lowe's to get some stuff, and she was uh, giving me some advice on what kind of light bulb to buy. She's a very smart girl, and um, we were uh, walking across the parking lot. She takes my hand. She's holding my hand. We went to, to PetSmart. She loves to look at the cats, and we're holding hands and all that. Now, I never held my boys' hands. You know, I didn't do that. And they just, they're just different. Now, here's another here's an interesting thing. And I, I got a, like a 12-point thing that they've done research, you know, on, on the difference between men and women. There's a lot of physiological differences between men and women. But one of the fundamental things that maybe we'll all appreciate is they, they sent these... Uh, they sent these researchers you know, years ago to high schools and college campuses to look at the differences between boys and girls. You know, one of the things they noticed, uh, this was the days before uh, book bags. Uh, they noticed that, that boys carried their books under their arms and they, and they walked this way through the classroom or, or down the hallway. And uh, remember, you had the notebook and your books piled on it, and that's how boys would walk. Little girls, young girls in high school, carried their books like this, like they're carrying a baby. Nobody ever told them in second grade to do that. There's a genetic design, a God-given design, that women and men are different. And uh, so it says this, and God created them, say it with me, and God created them, male and female, Male and female, he created them. So, my, uh, my deal about the family is, and the, and the sexual confusion in our, in our world is, uh, you know, I did a whole series on this, so you can look up, uh, I think Love Is is the name of the series, four-part series on this. But... My attitude toward the, the sexual confusion in the world, and I have a lot of friends that are on the other side of the track of, of this, is, is I am going to be loving and gracious and kind and uh, love, show Jesus to people and, uh, and, and not be harsh and angry and all of that crazy stuff that doesn't, that's not a part of the kingdom of God. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to let my worldview be informed not by media, not by movies, but I'm going to let my worldview be shaped by the Bible because the Bible still teaches and it still makes sense uh, that, that God made them male and female.
Now let me just say this one last thing that could be a little controversial. Uh, this last thing I would say about this. Before I move on to the, the main point, which is, I haven't even got to the main point. This is the introduction, so, uh, and I'm almost out of time. So anyhow, it's going to be amazing next week. Anyhow, uh, and I say this with kindness. Gay people that adopt children, which is the most painful thing for me about the whole thing. Gay people that adopt children, every gay couple that adopts children, adopts children that were formed by a male and female honoring God's design. Because God's design is God made them male, God made them female, and he celebrates the affirmation of that with the creation of life. And so that's God's design and all that. So um, how many watched the royal wedding yesterday? Did you watch the royal wedding yesterday? I got up, you know, in the morning. Karen's up. She's got up. I know she said our alarm clock or whatever. She's watching this wedding. She said, sit yourself down. We're going to watch this wedding. And I'm not thrilled about it, but I watched some of it, you know. Uh, but hey, listen, why, why is the whole world crazy about Harry and Meghan whatever her last name is. What is it, McClary or what is it? There you go. I couldn't hear it, but it's, it's there. We know what it is. Why is the whole world crazy about that? Hundreds of thousands of people lined up on the streets and watching this and then people all over the world watching. It's because there's something innately inside of us that has a hunger for the celebration of God's love and creation. And very, very important thing. Uh, weddings are just beautiful and they're just a part of, uh, of God's plan. Now, let me just, because we don't have a lot of time left, let me, um, let me just talk a little bit about the rib. The rib. Uh, God put Adam into a deep sleep. First record of anesthesiology in history. Put him into a deep sleep. Took a rib out of him. Now, it's interesting. There's an interesting point here. Why did God not make Eve out of the dust like he made Adam? He made Adam out of the dust of the ground, formed him basically out of the clay, and then he breathed in him the breath of life. Why didn't he make Eve that same way? Instead, he took a rib out of Adam, and he started with something inside of Adam to make Eve. Because there is not to be, God is not making autonomous people here. He's not making autonomous people, He's making interdependent people that have a connection with each other. Marriage is not about independence, and that's one of the things I was listening to the wedding yesterday was how independent uh, Megan is and all that, and that was a big emphasis during the wedding. Marriage is not really about independence. Marriage is about interdependence. It's about two people that are interdependent on each other. So God took something out of Adam that Eve now had, and you know the first thing that Adam said to Eve? He walked over to her and he said, I believe you have my rib. That's one of the greatest pickup lines in history right there. <laughs> if you're a Christian young man, you're single, you're looking for a way to start a conversation, you just say, I believe you have my rib. So 
God created Adam, or created Adam out of the dust of the ground. He created Eve out of a, a rib that came from Adam. And inside of Eve, she had something that Adam was missing. She had something that Adam was missing. And so the deepest, Adam gave the deepest part of himself to Eve. He gave the deepest, the most personal part of himself to Eve. Now here's what marriage is. Marriage is this. Marriage is a union between a a man and a woman where those two individuals, they share the deepest part of themselves with each other. It's not a surface relationship. It's not a It's not a relationship that talks about the weather. It's a relationship that talks about the deepest part of ourselves. Now, in my relationship with Karen, we've been married uh, this summer, will be 41 years. Uh, We're saving up to do uh, an Alaska cruise. Anybody done the Alaska cruise yet? You know, the end is near when you've done the Alaska cruise. You know, know, you're like, have you done the Alaska cruise yet? That's what we're working on right now, Alaska cruise. Um, but there's, there's, not, there's not a thing, not a thing that she doesn't know about me. She, she knows everything. She knows my hopes. She knows my dreams. She knows my passions. She knows the things I'm afraid of. She knows the things that I'm insecure about. She knows she has my rib. She has the deepest part of me. So that's really important. I read this uh, little, little story. I'm, I'm not going to take a lot of time here, but I want to just, uh, on this point, i got one other quick point. Um, I read this little thing about two different journal entries I thought was interesting about women and men, and uh, I'll find it in just a minute. It is coming up here. i got a lot of notes here, more than I need. This is all next week's stuff. Okay. Two journals. This is her journal from the woman, from the wife. Tonight, my husband was acting weird. We had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested that we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. He agreed, but he didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him... If it was my fault that he was upset, he said he wasn't upset, that, he had nothing to, that it had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled slightly and kept driving. When we got home, he just sat there quietly and watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. Finally, with silence all around, I decided to go to bed. About 15 minutes later, he came to bed, but I still felt He was distracted, and his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I don't know what to do. That was her journal entry. And this is his journal entry of the same day. Rough day. Boat wouldn't start. Can't figure out why. (laughs) There you have it, right there. 
That is, that is the, is, the issue. You know what really our wives want to know? Our wives want to know what's going on in our head, even if it's not that significant. <laughs> that didn't come out right, did it? Uh, <laughs> even if it's not, it's not that significant. So I've learned in my relationship with Karen that she just wants to know what I'm thinking about. And she is my biggest supporter, my biggest fan, and she just wants to know, she wants to have my rib. She wants to have my rib. So your rib is the deepest part of you. Now one last thing as we end. God said about Adam and Eve, Adam was alone first, and then uh, God said, I will make a help meet for him. A help meet for him. Is that the King James vernacular? Uh, I think that NIV and the modern translators say, a uh, helper for him. Now, that's in the text. The text says, uh, Adam was alone. It's not good for man to be alone, it says. And then God said, God assessing the situation, God said, I'll make a help, her, helper for him. Now, what's interesting about this word helper it's the word in Hebrew, easier. It comes from a word, azar, and it means an ally. So what it basically teaches is, and, and if you look up the Hebrew word, I think it's used like 50 times in the Old Testament. If you look up the Hebrew word that's used for helper or help meet, it's the word often used for an ally in an army, with an army. So like when we were fighting World War II, we became the allies of Germany, or allies of England to help them fight against the Germans. The word means an ally. So he says, God says it's not good for man to be alone. He needs an ally, some to support, someone to support him, and uh, vice versa. So basically, God designs marriage so that when we go through battles in life, we have an ally that stands beside us. When Karen guys goes through a battle in her life, I'm her ally. I stand beside her to help her fight the battle. When I go through a battle in my life, a helper, help meet, means an ally. She stands beside me to support me. Your wife and your husband is your ally. Say it with me. My spouse is my ally. Say it a little louder, a little better this time. My spouse is my ally. So, when Karen went through a hard time, when she lost her parents, both of her parents within about uh, a month and a, or about a year and a half, time of grief, I'm her ally. I stand beside her in that battle. Uh, when I went through certain things in ministry. She's my ally. She stands beside me. So, Karen goes to do a hospital visit this week. And uh, she goes over to Nenecoke Memorial Hospital, and there's a wonderful woman in our church that has dementia. And she, uh, she's been married to her husband. I've known them. They've been in this church for 30 years plus. And a beautiful, beautiful couple. A few years ago, she got dementia. And she was hospitalized because she wasn't eating. So Karen goes to the hospital. And she walks in there. 
And there's this wonderful woman that we love. She's laying in the bed. And her husband is sitting beside her. And he's been sitting there. He's been sitting there for seven days while she's been in the hospital. Hasn't gone home. Hasn't left the hospital. But day and night he sat beside her, supporting her and loving her. When Karen would ask questions, you know, trying to have a conversation with her, she was confused. She would look at her husband. That's an ally. That's an ally. And that's a horrible, horrible battle to fight. But how many know that when you have an ally for life, it makes the battle a lot easier? We were at the hospital last night to see Tom and June. And June has been at the hospital with Tom for the last, uh, you know, uh, last four or five days. There day and night. Sleep. She showed us the chair she'd been sleeping at. And, and great marriages are about standing with the person you love when it's raining and holding an umbrella over their head. That metaphor works right now, doesn't it? Say this with me. My spouse is my ally when I face a battle. So my struggles, Karen's struggles, you're not in this alone. I'm your ally. I'm your helper. It's not just struggles, it's celebrating the great moments of life when your grandchildren are born, uh, when something great happens, like me this week, uh, I love tennis, and there's this one guy I hadn't beaten in a long time, and God was with me. <laughs> he blessed me. It was amazing. And I couldn't wait till she came home to tell her. So she can be a part of my story. She can be a part of my story. Because that's what great couples do. Lift your hands to the Lord this morning. And uh, those of you that are you're here, you're married. Uh, those of you that are, are maybe single parents, God's grace is with you in a special way. God's grace for, is with us whatever sta stage of life we're in. But we're here today because our families have become dysfunctional in our culture and we're rediscovering the roots of how to be healthy. So God, we just thank you, Lord, for blessing these families, blessing these couples. Lord, we thank you that your uh, plan for them is to bless them, to put laughter in their homes, to help them to weep together when they go through hard times and laugh together when they go through good times. And we thank you for blessing them and for taking care of us as we serve you as families. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen.